Okay, welcome back to episode 21. Super, super pumped about this one. I know I say that about all my episodes, but this one's a pretty special one. Um, I'm one that leaves in special numbers and figures and 21 represents the, the age I am and I just finished my 20th episode, um, which released today actually um, as we speak, which was about my own story and my own journey and me opening up and being a bit vulnerable. And my guest today is Ryder Jack. Um, he's a facilitator at Tomorrow Man and he's all about vulnerability, about um, men's mental health, about mental health in general, um, looking after ourselves, that sort of thing, and just an incredible person. Um, and I first came across him um, for a workshop that Trobe put on for um, for anyone and it wasn't just a, a male-centered um, workshop. There was females there as well, and it was such a different experience to all the other online workshops I've been to um, and really felt like I connected with the individuals that were a part of that workshop, and it was through Ryder's um, personality and, and the way he facilitated it, which just made it so genuine. Um, and so I was like, I definitely have to get Ryder on, um, and here we are sitting down on the, what is it? 22nd today so yeah pretty excited welcome Ryder thanks Ethan um now the way I start all my podcasts is I like to find out what is your weirdest habit because I feel like habits are um some people know of but you know your weirdest habit is something that you don't really tell much or um not many people know of you I don't know if I have diagnosed OCD or ADHD, but I can be quite obsessive. Uh, so fonts really um, can fire me up. Helvetica is really? the best font, the cleanest font. Uh, what other weird habits do I have? Wow. I'm a dribbler. I dribble on my pillows um, <laughs> and the smell comforts me, which I'm a bit ashamed to say. <laughs> I'm a dad. My two little boys are dribblers and even my stupid cat's a dribbler too. So, oh, geez. Yeah. Yep. Runs uh, in the family. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other weird habits I've got. I always flick off all the power switches before I go to bed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're the first few that yeah. come to mind. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Um, now, let's take a step back to when you were in high school, um, yeah. year 11, year 12. You were at the pointy end. What was young Ryder like? Did he have ambitions to be a facilitator and work in men's mental health or was he um, going in different directions or didn't know what he wanted to do? Is it all right if I go earlier than year 11 and 12? Yes. Yeah. I was probably yep, on definitely. the right path by that age. <sighs> Ever since I can remember, I've always been a massive extrovert. Loved being the center of attention. I've got these amazing, creative, wild, fun parents. And as a little boy, they'd take me mm -hmm. everywhere. They didn't want to becoming parents stop them from having fun. So they'd take me to the pub. They'd take me to parties. And from a really young age, I learned how to connect with adults really quickly. Um, I got to meet all different sorts of characters as well because my parents were fun. So flawed characters, eccentric characters, inspiring characters, damaged characters, <laughs> a whole mix. 
And I just loved connecting with them from a young age. So I always got fed off that kind of attention. That's what really fueled me, getting reactions from people, whether it's making them laugh, entertaining them. I, I guess yeah. my, my deepest, darkest fear is not being extraordinary, um, being ordinary. So that's mm. kind of always fueled me to to be that way and there's shadow and light to that so for some people I'm too much and then for other people I might give them a bit of a spark but as a result of being such a massive extrovert uh, still to this day I have to use every muscle in my body to not be the biggest smart ass ever every impulse I have is to kind of say something that's a little bit cheeky so that kind of mm -hmm. served me well to a degree in high school because I was that real smart ass and I was always getting laughs, but I never really realized the, the full impact that I was having. Yeah. When I was in year nine, I got sent to a leadership program. Basically there were thousands of young people all around Victoria. And from those leadership days, they ended up, this organization ended up selecting about 30 of them who would then be trained as facilitators, young facilitators trying to inspire young people. So that was an organization called the Reach Foundation. Yes, yes. Started by an amazing, yeah, probably the best dude ever called Jim Steins, who unfortunately passed away a few years from cancer. Mm. But Jim was an AFL footballer, an Irish guy, six foot five or seven, like just a giant, a beast of a man. Mm. And he inspired me because I just loved his range with his masculinity. So he was really alpha and dominant because he was an AFL footballer, but then he also had this tenderness, this soft side. So he would, he could switch between being a CEO and a boss and telling people what to do. And then he could shed some tears and talk about family issues and that kind of thing, and then be funny. And I just loved the way he went about it. But the, the thing that was my true turning point was as a, I grew up in a little bit of a bubble to, a, to an extent because I went to a Jewish school co-ed, but uh, all the people I was hanging out, out, out with had the same religion, had the same kind of background, mm -hmm. and I'm not a particularly religious person. Uh, but I just felt like my bubble was really small. And through going to that leadership day, getting selected for, from the program, I got to meet all different people from a whole array of backgrounds and through hearing their stories, I started to check myself and realize that even though I was getting laughs, I was actually hurting a lot of people. And that's when I started to realize that even though everyone's laughing, there are, there are guys going home, maybe crying or feeling really shit about the way I was joking around and being a smart ass. And it never came from a malicious place. It just came from mm. just not having good impulse control. So that's that kind of changed my world when I realized that I, I had power in a room I could make a room full of people hate each other I could make a room full of people love each other so that's when I decided I wanted to spend year 10 11 and 12 uniting my year level and rather than making people feel shit and being the butts of my joke I could use it to make yeah. everyone feel really included so I'm always made sure I jumped from group to group to group and I just wanted to be friends with everyone. Yeah, geez. And so when you were younger, like reflecting back now, did you sort of um, see that your ego was kind of controlling you? 
um, and sort of, you know, pushing you in those directions? Yeah, I just was constantly getting my, my ego fueled. So getting laughs made my ego feel good. It made it grow. I, I just had, I've always had confidence about me. I'm very self-conscious. Like I do worry about what people think about me, but I never let that stop me. So yeah, um, so yeah, I've always been able to kind of step into fear or step out of my comfort zone, take risks, even though internally I'm shitting myself. But yeah, the, the ego kind of fueled me for good and for bad. So yeah, bad, I definitely yeah. say it was a, a part of it. Um, and, and yeah, and your... maybe my, oh, oh, sorry. No, you go. Oh, I think I was also, my ego was protecting my, my sensitivity. Uh, my yep. always had a really big heart, had really great access to emotions. Uh, I have the best parents ever. I love them to bits, but they're, they're, parts of their relationship is extremely dysfunctional. And as a little boy, um, mum and dad, they've been having the same fight for 30 years and it would get heated and um, it used to really, really affect me. And as a, as a, when I was much younger, say 10-ish, I tried to protect my little brother because I didn't want him to hear what was going on between mum and dad. And mm-hmm. I, I just I only realised this a few months ago when I did this like ice bath breathing workshop Wim Hof Wim Hof some cheeky Wim Hof it was a bit of a hybrid I always thought my block with emotion came from a time where a girl broke up with me in year 10 at a party and it was real savage and she didn't really give me much explanation and I cried and ran away from the party and I thought that's where my block with emotion came from but after doing this Wim Hof set Wim Hof or however you want to pronounce it after doing this session what I realized was my block with emotion actually came from when I was 10 years old and I vividly I had a vivid flashback to my parents arguing next door to my room yelling and screaming and hearing shit break and me crying in my bed promising myself that I would never let my parents shit affect me ever again and that's when I realized that that's when I started putting layers around my emotion or my heart and the ego grew and grew and grew and that was a massive realization Um, and even though my parents have the same argument they they always make up they're so passionate and they love each other so much and it, it blows my mind that they're still together but it makes me laugh sometimes when i'm checking in with them <laughs> and i'm like man i've been hearing this shit since i was 10 years old and i'm just oh, I'm out i'm out yeah yeah geez it's funny how like events in our younger years can really stay with us and without us realizing because there's a lot of research saying that you know the subconscious um, kind of side of things like the first seven years, seven to ten years of our lives, um, we subconsciously take in all this information and the world around us, and that kind of then sticks with us and can be used for good or can also harm us. Um, so it's pretty incredible the way oh, the brain works. People are just walking, walking patterns like it's amazing, yeah, and it yeah. all comes as you said from that age where you're learning most about the world, your brain's developing the fastest. And yeah, luckily some people can have that awareness and have a choice around those patterns. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you, I want to go back to when you said when you're in year 10 and you had that breakup, 
Yeah. How did that sort of, you mentioned briefly how it affected you, but like what did you do after that? Did you start to, because um, that was probably around the same time you were involved in this leadership um, and the REACH Foundation, what was going through your head and, and what were you learning and what was your growth like? It's a really good question. Um I don't, when I cried, I don't think anyone laughed at me or made fun of me. It was all kind of in my head of feeling that shame. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's so complicated to even try to work it out because I think I've always been like a serial relationship guy. So I've always jumped from relationship yep. to relationship. And that's obviously feeding some sort of need of mine, some sort of deep-seated need of being loved or being accepted or that kind of thing. So I think I might have been – I was using the leadership program to grow as a person, work out these patterns, get more range as a young man, and then I think I was testing it out at school and trying to, yeah, be a good leader. Um, but I, yeah. I, I think I'm, I think at that age I was really divided where I was so competitive. I've always been really competitive, but really competitive about learning and growing, but it mm-hmm. didn't balance well with my patients. So sometimes in these leadership programs, I'd have complete compassion fatigue. People would be pouring their hearts out and me wanting to be this facilitator. I, I lost my compassion. I'd be like, I didn't say it out loud, but I'd be thinking, can everyone shut the fuck up? I want to learn the craft. I want to learn how to do this, Mm. which is so naive and so ridiculous and so contradictory. And it took me a little while to realize that all that emotional expression is is all a part of the journey. And if I can't sit in that, I'm going to be a terrible facilitator. So I think in my early, I've been doing this, yeah, since I was 15, I think in my first few years, I wasn't a very good facilitator. I was a great showman and I knew how to set up activities Mm -hmm. and hooks and challenges, but I didn't have the compassion or the emotional access or range to be the facilitator that I I am or that I'm evolving into. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And so you, after high school then, did you go into facilitating full-time or was it like an internship or just a... so at reach, at reach, you start as a facilitator. Oh, sorry, at reach, you start as a volunteer and yep. you get mentored by amazing experienced facilitators who are all cool and aspirational and you look up to them and they take you under their wing and they kind of craft you and mold you and mm. bring out your and highlight your flaws and highlight your strengths and it's amazing mentorship. And then I started practicing with, they had a program called Rookies, which was for 11 and 12 year olds. And back then, 11 and 12 year olds were a lot more innocent, a lot more forgiving. And you kind of learn how to facilitate with them because they're less judgmental or they're held back less from the fear. So I had so much fun working with kids and that old, um, whoa, I was about to quote Bill Cosby and then I realized that he's the most evil man on the planet. But he had a show called Kids Say the Darndest Things and kids definitely said the darndest things when I was working with 11 and 12 year olds. Sorry to quote Bill Cosby. He's a fucking monster. The worst uh anyway 
So I, I'd kind of go in and out from volunteering and working and then the further you go up the ladder at Reach, you start getting paid and getting more responsibility and learning how to develop mm-hmm. content and setting up your own workshop. So that's really where I learned my craft. But I think <laughs> I said that's where I really learned my craft, but I think the real way I learned my craft was through my 20s and uh, being really curious about the world and putting myself out there and meeting lots of different people, I guess, like I did when I was really little with my parents. So that's when I started uh, producing documentaries and trying to find out more about taboos and characters and all the uh, different wild and wacky people out there. And um, approaching someone to interview them or to shoot a doco on them is at the time was one of the scariest things I ever had to mm. do because it was like someone has this personal secret about themselves. What are they to gain from sharing it publicly or sharing it with me? So that's when I really learned about kind of how to help someone share their story and do it from an authentic, ethical place because uh, I wasn't making money off filming people or anything like that. It was just more I just You're wanted just to curious. chase this curious. Yeah, I had this fire in my belly and I was so scared at times to approach people. But once I stepped into that fear, I blew my mind with the stories that I discovered. And, um, yeah, so I, throughout my 20s, I jumped between facilitation and working as a producer. Um, yeah, jeez. Uh, and an interviewer. Uh, so That is awesome, yeah. I can relate so much to that yeah uh, that's pretty much like what i'm going down now is like i'm just so curious on what like the human behaviors and how people function and, and what is holding us back from reaching our potentials or what's actually causing a lot of mental health issues um in the world so yeah it can relate a lot to that so my, my, my secret to it was rather than judging someone going, fuck, you're a freak and you like, yeah. I, I want to know about you. I, I never looked at people that way. I was more like, you are amazing and I want you to, I, I want you to share a bit of that magic. And I think that yep. also stems from my childhood of my parents, even till this day as a 33-year-old man or whatever the fuck I am, my parents have always made me feel like a rock star and always made me feel yeah. like I'm the most special person in the room. And I see that as a real gift and I'm very grateful and I feel very privileged as a result of that. And I think as I started maturing, I wanted to give other people that feeling. I wanted to make other people feel like a rock star. So whether it was someone I was interviewing or when I was facilitating high school workshops, I wanted that hidden gem to feel like the rock star. So that guy who's a legend, but no one can see it because he's not cool according to high school standards, I wanted to shine the spotlight on him and go, this guy's actually the coolest dude in your year level and you guys have no idea because once you're out of the bubble of high school, you'll realize that individuality is what people are looking for, not this kind of sheep mentality. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that so, that's always fueled my facilitation and fueled my producing. Producing, yeah, amazing. And then from your facilitation, your producing, did that lead into Tomorrow Man and and being yeah. a part of that? Yeah, exactly. So, so what was that transition like? Really hard. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I how old would I have been? Must have been late 20s and I I basically felt like I had two choices, two paths were in front of me. I could do the freelance producer route or 
Tom Harkin, the founder of Tomorrow Man, approached me with an opportunity. Now, mm-hmm. I was really lucky in my 20s. Most of my work was freelance. I lived with my parents for a long time. They were super cool. They let me kind of get up to whatever I needed to. So it never felt like I was living at home with my parents. I could party, have a wild time, yeah. come home and not hide anything from my parents. I'd get a cup of tea and treated good. Like it was, <laughs> it was almost too good of a sit show. I could have ended up there till I was 40. <laughs> but I so so I had that safety net of not having to make too much money. I could travel. I'd, I'd leave mum and dad and go on these amazing trips and do lots of crazy dumb yeah. fun shit. Um, but I was realizing that the producing was getting to a point where I was going to have to eventually work on projects that I don't give a shit about and that weren't aligned with my values so mm-hmm. i would have had to have worked on some reality tv and even though i love watching reality tv um some just... of the producing is quite unethical so that scared me a little bit of not getting to work on every passion project so that was steering me away from producing and then basically tom harkin who mentored me at reach and then eventually became a mate had this opportunity where he had this workshop, he had this product and he was like, I want to work a bit more in the corporate space. Ryder, I'd love you to take this vehicle with a couple of our other mates who have got over 10 years facilitation experience and start running this thing called Tomorrow Man. And I had to kind of make the choice uh, because... I just had to grow up and, 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 and take mm. a path as opposed to just keeping yeah. all my options open like a younger dude open, tends yeah. to do. So I chose the Tomorrow Man path and uh, they're not now. Yeah, I'm been here. there ever since. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's it. Now, I know you're passionate about speaking um, around the topic of vulnerability. When did you realize how impactful being vulnerable can be or um, – when did you kind of start, um, I suppose, working on your own vulnerability more? I'm still on the journey with it. I'm definitely yeah. like not the finished yeah. product. I don't know what the finished product is. I feel like there's never, never a finished product for these kind of things. Yeah. I think once I realized that I was a serial relationshipper. That's probably not the medical term. But once I realized <laughs> that I, I kept going to relationship to relationship, I think once I spent time alone, mm-hmm. that's when I realized I got a bit more comfortable with my vulnerability because I didn't have someone really? to look after me. I didn't have someone to tell me that I was amazing or sexy or whatever the hell you get out of a relationship. And I think through sitting in that for a long time, that's when I got a lot more comfortable with it. The main thing I'd say, though, is becoming a dad completely opened up a part of my heart and emotions that I never thought I had or that I'd kind of run away from for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I just remember the weird little alien comes out of the vagina and you're kind of like, whoa, this is weird. Hey, mate. Nice to meet you. And at the hospital we were at, uh, the partner isn't allowed to sleep over. 
So it was this cold, okay. rainy night, and I had to, in the middle of the night, had to drive back home to this old, amazing space I used to live in, which was this old, like, Sunday school. So it was super old, but it was very cold <sighs> and dark. It felt like a church and had this yucky, like, night's sleep, and I just wanted to be with my partner and my baby. And I was like, this sucks, just, like, sleep and then get up in the morning. And uh, mm. I have got a pretty varied taste of music like I'm obsessed with music and I for some reason like a, an old shitty Coldplay song came up and I don't like Coldplay by any means I'm sorry for people that like Coldplay but it's just not my cup of tea but I used to love this song from Parachutes which was their first album anyway mm-hmm. this song comes on and I'm driving and just something clicks and I'm just like howling like a baby, like just crying as I'm driving to the hospital to see my partner and baby. And I feel like that was a big turning point for me where it was like I'd unleashed this vulnerability, this emotion mm. and um, from, from this yeah. stupid song. Um, and, yeah, I feel like that's kind of as a result of having that access, it's changed my facilitation a lot and made me definitely a lot better. So. Why do you think this term isn't brought up so much or why is it so hard for men to open up and and be vulnerable? Why are we so scared about it? We all have an experience. So hopefully our parents do, and it's not everyone, but our parents do the best job that they can to nurturing us and keeping us safe. And once you pop out of that bubble and go to primary school or high school, your parents or the people that care about you can't control what happens. And every boy Mm -hmm. has an experience where he gets shamed for being flamboyant or emotional or expressive or different. And it it scars them to a degree. And that's, you mentioned ego. That's when people start protecting themselves, putting on a mask. I don't give a shit. I don't care what anyone thinks. Nothing phases me until, yeah, you get to a point where that, that beautiful, innocent, pure, emotional, flexible child is completely hidden. And it's, it, it freaks me out sometimes watching high school boys mm. where all they want deep down is acceptance and to be a part of the boys and to feel a sense of belonging. But everything they yeah. present externally is, I don't give a shit. And you'll set up a yeah. challenge and they're like, I don't give a shit. And then you watch them and they're almost like, like a species of animals just watching each other, darting their mm. eyes, seeing what the alpha is going to do. And once someone with power or charisma or who's aspirational can show a bit of emotion, they realize that it's actually, there's something very masculine about it. Mm-hmm. And seeing a guy shed some tears is actually, it looks, it, it, it looks all right. Like the world isn't going to melt and you're not going to turn no. into a pillar of salt. Um, there's a huge sigh of relief going, well, yeah, everyone cries. All guys cry, but they do it in this bizarre, shameful, oh, uh, wow. private way where they yeah, they don't want anyone to know about it. And once you can break that myth and go, hey, we're all doing it, you can't make fun of anyone for doing something that you do yourself. There's just so many myths that guys believe and, and it's, it's upsetting oh, and it's 100%. damaging. It is. And like how can we start creating these safe spaces? Because um, I know in the past and I still struggle to this day to um, – open up in in some situations because i i've always been one that's 
been intact with my emotions and, and knows myself pretty well. And I can see that other people are suffering. And, and often when I'm in a group with you know a couple of mates or a few lads, I can see that they're suffering as well. And they're putting on, they've got this mask on. And I feel like um, that it's hard for me to open up in that sort of space sometimes. Um, so how can we create a safe space for then people to be vulnerable? Uh, I think it's, so with guys, it's making it as casual as possible. I think mm. doing an activity, a physical activity is really good. Yeah, Going for a walk or a kick of the footy or having a, having a drink or coffee, a beer, whatever your, your beverage of choice is. Yeah. And I think it's, it involves a lot of patience. So I think men are quite in, yeah, men can be quite intuitive when they sense when their mates are off. They do have yeah. that feeling. But so sometimes I think that the key thing to do is rather than going, are you okay or how are you? What can I do yeah. for you? It's about role modeling the vulnerability yourself. So if you're able to go, fuck, I've had a shit week, me and my miso just keep fighting and it makes me feel so sad and I'm so scared that she's going to leave me and if she leaves me and I don't have my boys, I'm just going to fall apart. But I have my ups and downs and that's how I'm doing. I'd love to know how are you going? So by me role modeling mm. that, it gives permission to the other guy. I'm not in the position of power going, tell me how you are. Let me help you. Let me fix you. I'm going, yeah. hey, I'm infallible, I'm going through a shit time or a good time or whatever, how are you? And then he has a choice to go, okay, this feels safe for me. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. And that's something that's um, popped up a few times for me is like that phrase of, you know, how are we? And it's a phrase that's just constantly thrown around and, you know, often the answer is like, yeah, not bad, mate, or yeah, doing well. And it's just left at that and there's no sort of... um, uh, what do you call it, second or third questions, oh. and you talk about that a fair bit in um, a, in your that, workshops. That question is, it's it's a habit, it's a slang, it doesn't, yeah. people don't really want to hear the answer and people don't really listen to mm. the answer either. So test it out. Next time you order takeaway food and someone asks you, how are you, say something really like intense in a short amount of time and see how they respond. I sometimes so true. Yeah, I sometimes yeah, I order a burrito and someone say, How are you? And I'm like, Oh, I'm really struggling. I'm having a really shit day. And then I'll say, Good. And what would you like? I'm like, What? So yeah, they didn't hear it at all. Uh, they didn't listen to my answer at all. Um yeah. or I can tell someone's a bit off when I'm ordering food and I'll go, You you you're like is everything okay? Like you 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 seem a little bit yeah, not that good. And then they'll oh. go, oh, my God, I'm having the shittest day ever. Thank you so much for asking. It's been noticing. Yeah. And yeah. then they go, I'm doing this, 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 this. And um, they've told me all this stress they have about work and how they've had to do an extra shift. But then they end up giving me like a discount with the burrito and it ends up being <laughs> a delicious burrito as well. I'm not doing it for the burrito. I'm just burrito, doing it because yeah. humans, humans are fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Do you think we need to be practicing vulnerability each day um, to, I suppose, get better at it or nah, to um, be at yourselves? Not, not, not each day. I think it's just you've just got to test the waters and um, you do need a place that you can practice it. 
So I could practice it at work, but I'm kind of having these conversations mm. all the time. So the main place I practice all this stuff is at my footy club because that's a very masculine environment. And uh, yeah. I, I, I can just see the results of, by me normalizing, talking about mental health, heaps of young guys approach me privately and go, hey, right, I want to talk to you about this thing. And yeah, you just normalize it. So yeah, yeah there needs, to, as you said, there needs to be a regularity to it. Maybe not every day because we do need our protection. But yeah, this is, yeah, it's just a big thing I love to do in workshops is just break myths. And I don't break them myself by going, oh, that's not true. I love when participants break a myth. Mm. So stuff like, oh, I can't tell my dad that I love him. Um, why not? Oh, because it's just it'd be weird. It's just like it feels a bit weird. Um, and then you'll hear a guy who's told his dad that he loves him and it went really well. And then they encourage each other to tell their dad what they think. And, and then they end up realizing that it's you can tell your people what they mean to you and – it's not going to ruin the relationship. It's only going to make that person feel better. Um, and there's a whole array of myths that guys believe that aren't actually true. Like yeah, if exactly. I open up to my mates, they're going to laugh at me. If I open up to my mates, they can't handle it. If I open up to my mates, they're not going to want to be friends with me. That's not true. Yeah. And if it is true, they're not your true mates. It's not a solid mate. That's a shit mate. Mm. Um, but the ones who do give a shit about you, want to know what's going on for you hopefully and they might not know how to handle that but i think for a lot of guys you just need to set up the boundary sometimes of going i know we're about to talk about something i can't fix you i might not have all the answers but i will always be there for you by your side say whatever you need to say even if i, I don't know how to fix it because the yeah. fixing the fixing impulse comes from a good place it's to do with the way that we're conditioned and the way that we grow up and stereotypes and gendered expectations but it's actually quite harmful when someone's going through something definitely. that can't be fixed definitely and the the best thing to do is just listen isn't it and just hear them talk about it because once they talk about it they just feel this sense of relief um, and i know from me talking about sort of my own experiences or you know, struggles, um, you know, at that point in time by vocalizing and putting it out there, it's just like, oh, geez, it all goes away kind of thing um, and get to process it a bit more. And you need um, you need space for it and time and a different yes. environment. And, and, and I do kind of like what you, you meant about the regularity to it, like make it a part of your routine or a bit of a habit. Like when you go to the pub or wherever you go, mm -hmm. Check in, see how you're going. That might take half an hour. That might take an hour. And once you've done that, then you can talk about all the weird and wonderful and bizarre stuff you want to talk about or your weird in-jokes and banter and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, you just you have to make it regular because yeah. we're not used to it. So we need to strengthen that skill, strengthen that muscle um, because we're used to physical exertion when we're kids and breaking shit and playing sport and climbing and fixing and that kind of stuff. So the, the skill of actually holding space and taking space needs yes. to be practiced. Yeah, definitely. Now, you also talk about masculinity and I feel like masculinity is – often talked about in a, in a negative way, like toxic masculinity. 
um, but don't really sort of understand that there's the other side, the positive, like what is your definition of masculinity and how do you see it play out? I always find that question really hard to answer, like what is masculinity? Yeah. Um, And, yeah, and obviously there's toxic sides or aspects or behaviours to do with masculinity. But when I think of it, I think of it as simple, and, and this is just, I guess, humanity in general or good humans or good men or good women or good trans people or whatever you want to say. But mm. for me, it's just all about um, authenticity. Yeah. Compassion. Got to chuck some empathy in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, stepping into the heat so that you can be truthful or look after others. They're the things that are kind of popping into my head right now when it comes Definitely. to like, I love I love those like? three words like authenticity, compassion and empathy. Like there have been words that have been popping up in a lot of the um, things I'm reading or um, a lot of people that I'm interviewing always sort of bringing up those those topics and I feel like they definitely are like the keys to, you know, um, building proper relationships and meaningful relationships because um, for us as humans and this is, you know, again what I've been reading um, and I think I haven't read it yet but the um, book Lost Connections talks about it how we um, we want to, as humans, be so connected. Like that's, you know, who we are. We want to be have meaningful connections with the people around us. And often our authenticity, compassion and empathy are lost through that ego building and, and that mask that we put on and, and we don't build those meaningful connections. Um, so I think those those words are, are truly powerful. And But often... Um, we sometimes find it hard to comprehend them or or actually make sense of them. So how do we start um, recognizing our ego or, you know, knowing who our authentic true selves are? I'm throwing all the all the big yeah, questions. Yeah, all the at big you questions. Here, right? Jesus, Ethan. Um, how do we do it? We we have to role model it and we have to normalize it. I, I was just as you as I was answering that, I was like, I never know how to answer that question because I realized that I work with thousands, tens of thousands of men each year, and I'm raising two men myself. Well, they're little mm. boys, but I'm I'm raising them myself. So as I was saying those words, I realized they're the things that I want my boys to have. So it, so one aspect is the younger generation. And even though I'm yeah. doing so much to teach my boys about emotions and empathy and all those things I told you of what I think makes a good man, as soon as they're out in the real world through all other kids' conditioning, my boys are going to be shamed for the way that they are. They already are. Like Wolfie, who used to have like really long, like he's still got really long hair. Some like three-year-olds say to him, you can't do this because you're a girl and you can't, and like all this stuff that they already mm. believe from such a young age, which is which is pretty terrifying. So I need to do a job, me and my partner need to do a job as a parent to build him up with enough self-esteem that no matter how people judge him with their 
rigid fictional ideas of what makes a man or what makes a female that he's resilient enough to to be who he wants to be um or who he is um so yeah i think yeah role modeling it the way we raise boys being able to call out bullshit in a non-aggressive way like Mm. you can't call out toxic acts in a violent way because then no one learns anything so whenever i have bad shit go down in front of me i just try to do it in a quite a calm way because men already tend to be quite defensive so if you yeah match them with that heat it's not necessarily going to work out in a peaceful way so i think it's being able to call it out going like come on i can't believe you just said that you're so much better than that you don't actually mean that do you um or going mate just like Mm. come on you've had too much to drink just sit down i got you it's all good um you don't actually mean that just like ways like that um and just i think being able to help people realize the contradictions of some of those toxic things so for instance a guy talking about a female in a certain way but if you talk about his mum or his sister or his nan he'll he'll fire up all of a sudden so being able to reflect that back to people going does that make much sense to you that you're happy to call that girl that but if someone called someone you cared about that same thing it would be a completely different situation mm. so i think it's just all about awareness and myth breaking through people in a certain cohort um and realizing that we're not alone no one's living up to this impossible stereotype like no one in this world is a perfect man that has the stereotype completely covered the best dudes are the ones who have got the range can have a laugh can shed some tears can be quiet can take up space it's just it's just not being rigid in any way and just learning learning off like off of females off trans people off different cultures off history i'm just taking little bits and pieces off off whatever works to make you the best human you can be i love that learning aspect because since i've been like really since i moved to uni um and i moved to bendigo um i started seeing that there was so much more out there and so much more to learn about and and I, you know, was then thriving on that and, you know, doing a lot more reading myself and through my course, we, our, a lot of um, the, it's like outdoor education. So a lot of normal kind of structures, like the normal education system, a lot of those things are completely flipped and um, almost debunked or like talked about in different ways. And so then I started questioning other things, you know, is this the way it should be? Like, should we be thinking about it in that way or going along with the flow or being a sheep or, you know, that sort of thing? And that's when I really started to expand and and um, started learning more and, and feeling like I could do that in a safe way as well at uni. Yeah. And, and look, and with that, it's I think it's all about baby steps. Like you're not going to change the world in like exactly. a year or two years or anything like that. I think it's just making... Yeah, little changes where you have to accept people for who they are, but also make them feel safe enough that that they can show more. And I think it's those little wins that are the biggest. I love the little wins. Yeah, definitely. So what do you do yourself to look after your own mental health and and your own sort of um, well-being? Because 
you're always there trying to help other people um, through your facilitation, but what do you do yourself to take that I, step Because I'm always holding space for people, I find it hard to let people look after me. So um, mm-hmm. my partner is really good at just kind of nurturing me. So letting someone look after me is really good. Um, I meditate uh, before workshops because there's just, and I'm not an expert at meditation by any means. Um, I do a cheeky like five to 10 minutes just because I've got so yep. much content and impulses in my head and I just want a clean slate before I start the workshop. Um, physical exercise is probably, uh, yeah, my favorite. So going to footy training or going for runs or match day itself. Um, I find really helps my mental health playing with my little boys and like, uh, going into yeah imagination, um, and just trying to look at yes. the world. Yeah. Look at the world, the way that they look at the world, I find really helps my mental health, um, listening to music, playing music, creating things, creating content really helps my mental health. Um, chatting to mates really helps my mental health. Yeah. Uh, I got this yeah weird like organ that my um like an organ piano that my yeah, yeah. partner got for me um for my thirtieth or something and it's epic and I don't let my little boys play with it they can play on other keyboards but it makes these really weird <laughs> deep droney sounds so yes. often I'll go into this weird like thirty minute vortex where I'm like playing only two notes for like <laughs> who fucking knows <laughs> uh, but I find that that really helps as well just to kind of yeah I don't know go to another place yeah. And focus on the the task at hand, or focus on that present moment. Yeah, yeah. I just surrender. Um, so yeah, I all think, those um, all those things help. Definitely, I think what you said about the your kids and like tapping into their imagination, like that's something just that is so powerful, uh, and something that we lose as humans as we grow older. Because like you know, when we come into high school and leave high school, where conditioned to not go back to our childhood selves or be you know creative or imaginative and I've um through like the course that I'm doing have been able to actually develop lesson plans or develop teaching programs where I am just like getting so creative and Mm. and thinking out of the box and I just love it and it just that's what I thrive on Mm. and it's something that um you know, I think is is really important as adults that we continue to do that and, and everything doesn't have to be serious. Yeah. And back to kind of what you were saying before, just you're obviously, Ethan, a real beast for knowledge um, and mm. you, that's the way that you learn through reading and discovering and that kind of stuff. And for people who are listening who are maybe a bit like me and aren't book smart at all, I find that I learn most about the world just through conversations with people people I know, strangers, people I meet for the first time, like that's how I, that kind of really fuels me. So whether you can read philosophy or not, there's still other ways to kind of, yeah, expand yourself. And um, I am trying to be a better reader. just takes me a very long time. Um, It takes me a long time as well. Don't (laughs) worry. I'm still Um, reading this line over and over. Yeah. I'm not not the best and um, I've only recently just sort of, um started reading more books but i am like you as well conversation i think i think is so powerful 
and actually having the difficult conversations mm. can be really good as well because uh, yeah. you see where they're coming from, like their point of view. I, I also I, I get a lot of my ideas through play, so through mucking around I get a lot of ideas mm. or I'll wake up in the middle of the night and um, just start writing down. My, my whole philosophy is um, quantity over quality. So yeah. amongst that pile of ideas, there's a lot of shit ones, but you're able to get some good stuff in the quantity, in the heap. <laughs> Com- complete opposite to what a lot of other people say. Hey? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> Love just it. like turn some shit into gold. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I mentioned this in the, the workshop that um, we had, but like a lot of my good ideas come from me playing with my yo-yo, which yeah, is like dude. a toy. Or a you know a skilled toy, but um, that's my kind of time to um just think about things and yeah, process a lot of yeah. Stuff. I love yeah. You were so in flow when you did that, where you're like explaining what you were doing, but your brain was at like another part of yeah. That 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 blew yeah. my mind when you got into but the for some zone. for some blokes out there, it could be just kicking a footy yeah. or you know running around um you know exercise a lot of times yeah. it's exercise or doing something practical like building something building and, yeah true. Um, one of our facilitators Rhett, is just in the zone since iso just building shit like he was a failed woodwork artist um in high school <laughs> like he failed woodwork but now he's been building beds and cabinets and meditation stands and hat stands and he talks to you as he's doing it and he's it's kind of yeah his flow as well which i imagine some folks would yeah that would be their thing too definitely oh amazing and i think we touched on a lot here um rather and i i loved um that you know i think a lot of the the things we did touch about there is um there isn't a definite definition or a definite way that's played out and, and you definitely said that and, and showed that i think that's important for people to realize that there's no set pathway or no set structure as no. how we should be a man or how we should oh. be vulnerable or that sort of thing um so i think it's important to realize that yeah, because I've, we all are on our own journey i've got i literally have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> i got two <laughs> kids an amazing partner a job that i really love but i don't know what i want to do when i grow up and um yeah i still feel i still feel like exactly the way i felt when i was a teenager just like all these impulses firing out of me and i jump from topics and yeah i just yeah people no one is the finished product the finished product is really fucking boring so yeah just yep. keep trying to be the best human you can be as cheesy and crap as that sounds um yeah yeah just, no don't be a dick bag or if you're a dick bag <laughs> like me, because I think I'm a dickhead, but I take full accountability for being a dickhead, and I feel guilt <laughs> when I'm being a dickhead, and I const- I probably apologise too much, but uh, it's a part of who I am. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good, right? That's so good. Um, I usually end with um, a few sort of questions here. Now, hopefully, to don't stump you. I forgot to send them through to you. That was shocking That's on right. me there. That's all um, right. But if you were to meet anyone in the world, whether oh. they'd be famous, infamous, extraordinary or ordinary, who would it be and why? Like who's been someone that you've always looked up to or a mentor? Oh, like the, I, I usually hate those questions, but who's floating to mind? Uh, Louis Theroux, uh, yeah. BBC yep. documentary maker and Bowie, yep. David Bowie. Like I, 
it would have to be Bowie. Um, mm-hmm. he's had such Why a do you reckon? Oh, just because he made me like feel okay about being weird and different, probably like he has for so many different people, and yeah. um, his evolution as an alien has just been completely wild. And um, yeah, I don't know. He, I just yeah feel like he, his death hit me really hard. Um, out of all the um, amazing, incredible celebrity deaths and stuff, but. Uh, yeah. Oh fuck! Sorry. <laughs> um, when I did the Wim Hof or whatever you say, breathing, um, one of the mm-hmm. early because basically you get facilitated into a point of like hyperventilation, and as a result yes. of your breath losing control of your breath or having so much control of your breath, all this emotion and memories kind of float into your consciousness. Um, and my grandfather was an absolute legend. This like Polish. Uh, super tanned guy who he was a shoemaker but he was addicted to the sun and he'd sit in his lilo in his undies with all his gold chains and sell shoes from like the back of his house in his garage and he died when mm-hmm. I was seven and through the Wim Hof breathing I just remember crying hysterically I called him Jaja because um Jewish people call their European yep. grandfather Zayda um, and I couldn't say it properly so I'd say Jaja I just remember crying, going, Shaja, I love you. I love you, Shaja, Shaja, I love you. So I think I would have to I, – I've just always wanted to see what it would be like for him to have seen me grow up and for us to connect that way because I loved him as a kid. But, um, yeah, sorry, yeah. I think he trumps Bowie and um, uh, Louie. I think it would yeah. be yeah, seeing my grandfather having dinner with him. That's amazing. And was your because I'm I'm the same with like I did a, a kind of reverse role where I had two friends on interviewing me um, as like my twentieth kind of episode, and I mm-hmm. you know said my my grandparents as well because they've been a huge impact on my life. Um, was your did your grandfather um, like go through World War Two and the <laughs> He was really lucky slash unlucky. So um, shit was getting heated in Poland and yeah. his father left them on a boat to try to get them visas to go to Australia. Mm-hmm. And his wife, my great-grandmother, kept writing letters saying, you need to make this happen, you need to make this happen, shit's getting heated. Um, and he yeah. got them a visa just in time. They took one of the last boats out of Poland before the Nazis invaded, but the rest of his family got killed. So it was just him, his mother, sister on a boat, um, and then the rest of their family got yeah got destroyed. Um, wow. Yeah, so he was very lucky. And, and yeah, that, that brings up so many questions because, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, 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 yeah. Who knows what would have happened if, or what what form I'd be if um, we yeah. didn't get on that boat. Definitely, it's such an incredible, um, not incredible. Sorry, uh, no, such a, a um, mind blowing, unfathomable. Yes, it's, mind blowing. It's, 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 yes. it's yeah. I know what you mean by incredible. Like yes. it's just yeah, you can't believe. Yes. It. Yeah. Um, now. Oh, yeah, let's finish on something. Yeah, why don't we finish on something, yeah, really heavy like the Holocaust. That's a great idea. Cool. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) That's why I've got two more questions. (laughs) Um, If you were to – let me think. Oh, yeah, that's right. So what sort of advice would you give to your 18-year-old self if you had to give any, any advice? 
I think I think I'd I, I'd like to give advice to a younger version of myself because I was like, by the time I was eighteen, I, I, I like who I was becoming. Can I give yeah. it to a young? I, I just want to yes. give it to the. Year nine, dudes tend to be the worst in year nine. So maybe yeah, year nine, so I was 15 or 14 and just tell myself, yeah. just calm down a bit, Ryder. It's not all about you. You don't need to get laughs all the time. Um, use your power mm-hmm. for good. Um, try to make people feel special instead of making it all about you. Yeah, amazing. That's that's so important and that's, I suppose, empathy in itself, like helping others, service of others. Um, and making others feel valued. Now, my last question, what sparks you now, Ryder? What gets you fired up? What puts that you know, spark in your belly? What kind of fire up? Like angry fire up or have – oh, no, because this is going to be your last question, so it should be – fuck, what fires me up? In a good way, like what, what motivates you to get up in the morning? Oh, man, like my job, I'm so grateful of my job. Like I've been mm. doing this for so long. I've run one of the – like we've got a whole range of workshops, but for a lot of this one particular workshop, I've run it over, yeah, thousands of times. Um, I still get goosebumps and I still um, get the hairs on my arms prick up. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. what motivates me, kind of chasing that dragon. <laughs> so every yep. workshop I step into, I, I convince myself that it's the first time I've ever run this workshop because I want everyone to feel like, yeah, they're on the journey and it's not about the workshop, it's about them. So that motivates me. Um, my partner, she motivates me because she's just yep. the best human I know, so I want to be better for her. Raising my boys fires me up because I just mm-hmm. love them to bits and – um, I just want to, yeah, influence them as positively as as per, as possible. Even though, like, being a parent, all your flaws come up and it, it's mirrored straight back to you. Um, the yeah. NBA really fires me up. Um, <laughs> I've always been into AFL, but I'm so addicted to the NBA. So just watching an exciting playoff Who's game. Who's your favorite team? Or, uh, so I've got my, I have my team. They're not my favorite team. Um, I don't like okay. them, but they are my team, is the Houston Rockets. Um, I don't like right. the way that they play, but I like a lot of the young no. underdogs. I like Memphis Grizzlies. I like Sacramento Kings. I like the okay. Hawks. I like the shit young teams that have got a heap of potential. Yeah. Um, yeah. And i got to stop cool. off of the Spurs. I like, I like most teams. I'm, I'm just obsessed with the NBA, so that probably fires me up as well. So good. Well, thank you so much, Ryder. Uh, for coming on and I appreciate you you're taking this time in your day to do it. Thanks, Ethan. My day was a little bit boring. I was kind of doing admin kind of stuff. So thanks for um <laughs> you perked me up right now, so I appreciate it. Thank you for listening this far. It truly means the world. Now I'm going to leave my little takeaways to a another episode that I'm actually going to do. So Each week, I'm going to be releasing two episodes now, um, the full conversation and then a separate little 15-minute, 10, 15-minute episode where I talk about my takeaways from the conversation that I have with my guest. For instance, this week, we'll be talking about writer's takeaways and sort of give you a bit more of an insight and put my um, learnings across as well. So stay tuned for that. That will be coming out next week. But in the meantime, 
Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a screenshot of it right now. Like, I mean right now, take it and put it up on your Instagram story. Tag EJ Sparks um, underscore conversations and also tag Tomorrow Man and then also share it amongst your friends and family. Put it out there to the world, okay? Because the, the more people that can listen to this episode, the more people that I can help and, and impact at the end of the day. So if you did take something away from this episode, please share it amongst your friends. I would really, really appreciate it. But I, I hope you are all enjoying the content I'm putting out. Um, I'm going to be over the next two months sort of knuckling down and rejigging some things and then um, and pushing forward and, and putting some more content out that out there so i would really appreciate your feedback as well send me a dm send me a private message whatever and um and let me know what you think and and how i can serve you better and how i can be of benefit to you but i'll leave it at that for now um stay tuned for next week's little snippet little takeaway and then also next week's conversation but you know what time it is it is time to get out there and spark that conversation because as we know a conversation is progress cheers everyone peace out